Hello, it's Yotam here. Thank you for continuing to listen to Simple Pleasures. And for anyone new here, I hope you enjoy the series. I wanted to let you know that I have a new cookbook out this September, co-written with Easter Belfridge, who works with me in my test kitchen. It's called Ottolenghi Flavor and is available to order now. Flavor is a vegetable-centered cookbook which focuses on all the different ways in which you can dial up flavor and create fireworks in your cooking, true to the Ottolenghi spirit. Hello and welcome to Simple Pleasures with me, Yotam Ottolenghi. This is a series in which I invite you and a special guest to discuss the simple pleasures in life. From food, mainly food actually, to travel, to art, to food again, we discuss all of this over dishes from my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple. To me, simple means ease. It means less anxiety and less stress, doing things that are comfortable and familiar and not always massively challenging. I want to take the guilt out of the equation and inject an extra dose of joy. Now, this week's simple pleasure is just a little bit different. We're not in my home, but actually in South Wales at the home of one of my colleagues. And my guest was really worth the trip. He's just finished filming the new Mary Poppins movie, and he's one of the most important musical directors on Broadway, responsible for the smash hit Hamilton. He's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he's joined by his wonderful wife, Vanessa Nadal. Today we're doing brunch, and I've decided to make for them some braised eggs with leek and za'atar, hot charred tomatoes with cold yogurt, and a whole bunch of Welsh goodies, breads and cakes and cheeses, lots of great stuff. So let's enjoy Simple Pleasures with Lin-Manuel Miranda and Vanessa Nadal. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Not to my house. <laughs> and I have to say we're in Wales. Hello. Yes, how Hi, are Lynn. you? Good to see you. <laughs> so good to Hi, see Vanessa. you. Thank you for coming. So um, unusually, I'm going to cook for you, in, not in my house, but in Wales. Uh, Claudine, who is my recipe tester and friend, has, owns this house, but this is the first time I'm here. Well, it's gorgeous. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it is beautiful, isn't it? Yes. It's the most beautiful countryside. So come to the kitchen. Great. I've got two guests on Simple Pleasures today, which is a pleasure. Sorry, that is silly. It's a pleasure to have you both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lynn manuel Miranda and Vanessa Nadal. And first of all, why are you in Wales? And then I'll tell you why I'm in Wales. <laughs> okay, great. I'm in Wales because I'm acting in a new BBC miniseries based on Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials books, which are books we loved very much and kind of mm -hmm. read when we started dating. That was one of the yeah. original. Oh, really? Yeah, we were, we're nerd daters. And so there were a series, <laughs> there was lots of books that we just sort of read together when yeah. we began dating. And what else? Was, Tell me more about your dating. About, about, <laughs> about our book, Nerd Dating, we read those. I think we read the Dark, Dark Tower series. Dark Tower yeah. series. The whole thing, seven books. Wow. Yeah, and then we read those Robin Hobb books, which we liked. Oh, that was later. Because most people go on dates. <laughs> <laughs> Not us. <laughs> we did that, too. We did that, too. But, but I was working an hour outside the city. And so... Vanessa, what do you do? Right now, I'm an attorney, but when we started dating, I was in research and development at Johnson & Johnson, researching, like, the way that cosmetics work. Oh. So I was... My business card said scientist, 
Um, Which is an awesome card. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when you start dating good. someone, hi, I'm Vanessa Nadal. I'm a scientist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and now you're, you work as an attorney or you're, you're taking time? Because you, you, you have a, a kid that's like six months old, right? Yeah, he's six months old. Yeah. And I'm following this guy traveling around the world <laughs> with, a, with a six-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old in tow. Um, and I'm taking gigs around the world because I know she wants to travel around the world. That's true. <laughs> so how does that work, the travel and kids and all that business? It's hard? It's hard, but it's fun. It's been kind of magic, actually. I mean, the other time we spent out here, I filmed uh, Mary Poppins, which will come out Christmas, and we were sort of eight months out here and we just had one child and it was kind of a magical time for our family. It was yeah. sort of just this us. Is how we, this here. is we were how we met, right? So when you guys moved to London and, mm -hmm. and you came and spent a, a day with us with the boys, the boys yeah. played together. Although right before Actually, that, we were here to look for houses that's right. for that Oh, and uh, then we stint. met at Nopi. And we met at Nopi. We met at Nopi. That was my yeah. greatest anniversary gift I ever pulled. I'll never beat it. <laughs> I, I, I still have not beat it, which was that uh, we had a mutual friend who put us in touch, yeah. you and I, and I said, if you can meet us at Nopi, uh, which was already our favorite restaurant in London, <laughs> and so we... Vanessa thought I was bringing her to a different restaurant of yours. Oh, uh, so really? at first she was like, oh, I've been here before, but this is great. I love it here. <laughs> and then you came and sat down with us and had dinner with us. And that was pretty much the coolest anniversary present yeah. I've oh. ever pulled off. <laughs> it's true. It was worth all the books you had to read to get to that point. Right? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Indeed. indeed. All the sci-fi trilogies. <laughs> so now you're filming again. And so Mary Poppins is coming, and I just because I have to wear my British hat on, although I, I've been living here for like 20 years, but I'm never going to be British. But <laughs> what did you do for the accent? I had an amazing dialect coach named Sandra Butterworth. And if you like my accent in the movie, it's all her fault. And if and you if think it's a like... terrible accent, it's all my fault. Oh, yeah. Because uh, she, so she was amazing and, um, and really became one of my closest friends on set in terms of... It's, it was really fun. It's, it's sort of a great way to establish a character and finding a sort of new way of speaking. And, but not only singing and rapping and sort of, you know, it's not just speaking in an accent. It's also really living in it and uh, informs the way you move, the way your mouth moves. And so I'd never really done sort of hardcore accent work prior to this role. And it was, it was so really yeah, fun. So you had to... Are you? Did you try to do like the Dick Van Dyke kind of Cockney accent? You know, we couldn't find the part of London that that <laughs> particular <laughs> accent originates. <laughs> I just it was hard to pin that down. Um, but and he has a fantastic sense of humor about that. But no, I sort of I went for East End, but shy of Cockney. I think that okay. Cockney and Boston are the two hardest accents in the world, and you pretty much can't pull it off unless you're from there. So I sort of went Anthony Newley. Little Anthony yeah. Newley, Billy Bragg. Okay. That's the oh, direction. Okay. Okay. That's the direction it, I, I went in. And weren't there but, like words that people from that area now say, but you couldn't use because it was a period piece? Right. That's the other thing. This, it's also a period, so it's not. It's, it's not, not current. current. It's like, yeah, it's not bruv. It's, it's, it's ninety years ago. <laughs> yeah, and so it's uh, yeah, it's, it takes place in the nineteen thirties. So I actually listened to a lot of Anthony Newley, a lot of old music hall recordings to get sort of that era uh, of East End because and you you find that also too with British actors when they do. American. A New York accent. Oh, just, it might be New York, but it might it. not be the right decade of New York. <laughs> they might sound like a 1920s like newspaper boy, and so you know it was it was important to sort you of you know get that 30s. would be the thing that people would talk the most, at least in this country, but is about your accent because I think everybody's so sensitive to accents, don't they? I mean that's the thing you recognize. And One of the greatest musicals of all time, My Fair Lady, is built on oh, yeah, that's true. on status and <laughs> accents and how uh, important that is. Well, how do you judge the accent? Or you haven't heard it, Vanessa? 
I've heard it, but I, you know, I don't have a ear for British accents the way the Brits do, do of yeah. course. So I think it sounds great, but <laughs> right. what do I know? <laughs> wait, we'll wait for the critics. Yeah, exactly. Let me check on the food. This cheese is so good. Yeah, I told you to like it. It's not my oven, so if this doesn't work. Can you come in with this? It's a bit like your accent. If it doesn't work, I blame the, uh, the oven. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> the opposite of what I did. It's opposite of what you're saying. <laughs> the funny thing is that, so you told me you're going to be here in Wales, and um, this house belongs to Claudine, Claudine Wall Street, and she tests my recipes. And as soon as I said Wales, I said, okay, I know one person in Wales. I can borrow her kitchen and get you over. And she's really, she's a remarkable woman. She's been working with me for more than 10 years and she has tested every recipe I've ever published oh, wow. on her family. How do you get a job like that? Because that sounds like my wife's dream job to test yeah, your recipes. <laughs> I didn't know it existed and now I need a third career. So you can, you can join the line of people who have asked to do this job because, yeah, I think it's, so she's incredible. She, every time, every recipe I publish, I send to her prior to publication and Claudine tests it and she's, she's very good. You see, it's, a, it's just a normal kitchen, right? Yeah. But I have to explain that these are like beautiful Welsh rolling hills. So it's kind of the ideal scenario. She's got three beautiful kids, a lovely husband, and her family just eats my food six times a week because she <laughs> tests the recipes and then she writes these reports and it goes like from excellent divine and too nice. And when I get a nice from Claudine, I know I need to try the recipe again. <laughs> it, it's, it's That's like big. getting under an 80 in like the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know we're in Britain, so it's not like the nice is like an underperform. You know, then we need to back to the drawing board and see what we can do better. So that's her. But she's really good. So she would tell me, okay, this took 90 seconds to brown and not a minute, like you said. And, you know, in my oven, it's actually burnt a bit on top or you know all those things that you wow. think when you read a recipe and you think oh who's who has ever tried it and how does it work she captures all these things she also is really good so we're in rural wales and if she can't get an ingredient she would tell me you know that was not in my local grocery shop <laughs> right they don't sell sumac in my local grocery shop what am i to do so those kind of bits of information she sends and to be honest, I've never been to this kitchen, but so many of my foods have been cooked in this kitchen mm -hmm. that it's a bit bizarre, a little spooky. <laughs> yeah, it's the room where it happens. This one, one with the bread. It's such an underappreciated job because there's so much of an art of translation in terms of your dishes, right? Because you're inventing these things, you're playing and you're experimenting. Yeah. And then you've got to be able to tell someone at home how to recreate that. Yeah, and you know, it's the funny thing is that cooking in restaurants is so different from cooking at home. So if I take a recipe that we cook in our restaurants and I try to translate it for home cooks, it's... And vice versa as well. When you take a recipe that's really simple to cook at home, like a stew or something, and you want to bring it into a restaurant, it feels really weird. You need, it feels like you need to do something to it to kind of make it worthy to be in a restaurant. Right. So all these acts of translations are always really interesting. And, and you do get sometimes people go like, oh, that's... That's nice, but it's, it's not like in the restaurant. I say, yeah, but because when you cook at home, it's not like a restaurant, isn't it? It's yeah. like... Mm -hmm. Well, the only analog I have to that, to my line of work is sheet music or our recipes, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you can go listen to the Hamilton soundtrack and you can have the sheet music, but you don't have 
a string quartet. Uh, you know, it's it's the same music. You can play the same melody on your piano at home that we play in the yeah. theater, or we, you know, and you can sing along the same way. And but it is a, it is an act of trans like sheet music is a, a, a translation of something that is ineffable. So what happens when someone uh, translates your sheet music? in a way that you're not happy with. I mean, what is it, what does it do to you? Like when, so does that ever happen at all? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, we, you know, when we publish sheet music sort of officially, Alex Lackamore, who's my music arranger and I go over it note by note and bit by bit. And we play, we play through it all. Like we're like, we, we're Claudine, we, we, we test uh, what we're putting out there to make sure, especially with rapping. because I have a lot of rap songs in my show. And so, you know, we mark those with sort of rhythmic bars and again, you're approximating it, right? Like <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, the 16th note is kind of what I did with my voice here, but not really. Um, so you're, you're sort of um, testing it out in the exact same way. Vanessa, uh, what kind of involvement do you have when things like that kind of just happen? Do you, do you get really intimately involved or do you just show up to the opening night? Um, <laughs> I would say more of the latter. Uh, he, I mean, he writes songs and I listen to them and I give him my reaction. I'm the most annoying when I've just, in the time between I've just written a song uh-huh. and her sitting down to listen to the song because I want her to put down everything right away. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> put down that child, put down what you're doing. I have finished a song. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm going to just get out of the shower first, if that's okay. <laughs> uh, I can be as annoying as well. I, was just, I can, if I've got an idea and I just want the world to stop. It's just so, yeah, it's very self-centered, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Sorry. N- I think that's probably the roughest <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I'm going to listen to it. Just yeah. calm down. Yeah. But then when you go to the opening night, it's pretty much a surprise because you haven't been... Well, I've got, I usually have gone to like some workshops, but I don't go all the time. I mean, until two years ago, I had a pretty demanding job as an attorney or I was in school or I was working so I was like I can't drop everything to come to every one of your workshops I have a job myself but you know I don't think you want my like you know I'm not the director you don't want every idea that I have about it but I do think that my secret weapon is that Vanessa actually doesn't like musicals that much (laughs) and so if I write a song and she goes that's really good that means I've cleared a higher bar. <laughs> Which is actually true about many people who've gone to Hamilton and said, despite not liking musicals, I like Hamilton. You, you know, you get that kind of reaction, don't yeah. you? Yeah, we're a nice gateway drug to musicals. <laughs> because because I, I also really like pop music and I really like rap music and I think everything I like is in what I make. And so it reflects that. But I also think that we, I, there was one instance with Hamilton where I wrote a draft of a song and I played it for Vanessa and she went, it was like Claudine saying, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I she was like, that's nice. It doesn't feel like it's what your final draft is going to be, but it's nice. And I went, nice. Let me go that's jump off this cliff. <laughs> but yeah, an hour later, I, re- I rewrote the song, and that was the final version of the song. And I, I think what you're saying is also that you know that deep down inside she's right. Yeah, which is infuriating. <laughs> you you're right. Me. It could be better. <laughs> So what I'm making for you is I've made some braised eggs with leek and za'atar. So we're having brunch, so I thought a good egg dish. Would that work for you? I will eat eggs at any time of the day. Perfect. And some roasted cherry tomatoes with oregano and cold yogurt underneath. Amazing. Also, we'll eat yogurt (laughs) any time of the day. (laughs) 
I thought we just put yogurt in the fridge. That's <laughs> where we left. Who cooks at home? And Lynn, don't tell me you can cook, because then I'll kill you, because another talent is just not acceptable. You're, you're safe. Your career is very <laughs> safe with me. <laughs> no, I make a mean pizza bagel, and uh, I can heat up chicken nuggets for our son, and that's about oh, the extent. I'm, I'm just so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, cook, I, I cook less with our two small children yeah. than I would like. Oh, me too. What do you love cooking? My fallback is often pasta because it's very easy to kind of throw a bunch of fresh vegetables on top of it and I call know. it a dish. Yeah, I'm the same. What else do I cook? You make a salmon deal. Also a pasta dish? I guess so. And then Christmas, she breaks out your recipes. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> With the, the pomegranate. Well, that was my gateway to what was it? the eggplant. With the pomegranate uh, on the, top and, and the, the buttermilk, buttermilk yeah. sauce. That's on the cover of the my plenty. book. Plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That was the first one I cooked. Uh, and then and then I was hooked. But she's a really good cook, and she has a really good palate and really good instincts. And I didn't know, when we started dating, Yeah. I didn't know that that was something that was important to me. Because my mom isn't the cook in our family. My dad was the one who really? cooked. Yeah. And so I, that was not something I looked for in a spouse. It wasn't something I even thought to look for. And then one morning, I woke up and Does she was... Does anyone look for a cook in a spouse? Yeah, I, I feel like it's sort of like a, a 50s outdated sort of stereotype. <laughs> like, I want a woman who will cook me breakfast, you know? Like, I think of like an old sort of yeah, 50s yeah, guy in like a t-shirt um, saying that. But I woke up one morning and she was making pancakes and blasting hip-hop out of our kitchen... And I literally went, I love you. Oh. <laughs> but not out loud. Not out loud, but no? I mean, pretty much out loud. Yeah. And I just kind of couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh, she's making delicious pancakes for breakfast. Oh. It just sort of, it, uh, it was a catalyst. <laughs> well, I didn't think Amazing. that was something that was important to me, but suddenly I was like, oh my God. You can't ever let her go. <laughs> and what kind of... Uh, so, so, uh, but when you have kids, isn't it? It's just everything changes, right? Because you kind of just become a cook for the kids and you don't cook the old stuff you used to cook. Or, yeah, or well, our son is extremely picky. And that's is my, other one that's is, my fault. The other one doesn't eat food yet, so... I was started. a very picky child eater. Were like, you? I was a vegetarian until I was 13 years old. Really? And it wasn't ethically based. It was just... I just thought it looked gross. It looked slimy. Meat looked slimy to me. And so I didn't eat anything. I would eat eggs. So that's how my parents got protein into me. And I'd eat like fish sticks because they kind of looked like french fries. But that was it. I was really like one of those picky kids who was just like, oh, the plate is wet. Oh, the foods yeah. are touching. I can quote all these things to you because my son says them to us now. <laughs> this is gorgeous. And so we've got braised leeks with eggs, feta, and za'atar. And that's the hot tomatoes with cold yogurt. And it's got the tomatoes are roasted with oregano and erfa chili. So erfa chili is that kind of smoky chili from erfa in Turkey. And it's kind of mm. smoky but not hot. I don't think I've ever had it. Uh, and actually, these are actually, I, I brought them, I didn't make them, Sammy, my, uh, my friend and business partner made them. They're Palestinian little breads. They've got like little za'atar leaves and feta cheese inside. And what? he gave it to me. They were really fresh and I froze them. But then I just warmed them up now and they're so delicious. 
so Yay. you can try that. All right. And just help yourselves. All right. I just want to say that this is delicious. It's absolutely <laughs> delicious. I really yeah. love the herbs on them. You like it? Tomatoes, yeah. 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 So the, tom- the tomatoes are with oregano and thyme, and they're like the easiest thing in the world. You just take cherry tomatoes, you mix them up with oregano and thyme and oil and sliced garlic, and you stick it in the oven. And the yogurt is literally just plain yogurt with some lemon zest. And well, that's it. Welcome to our breakfast for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd be very happy if this was our breakfast. You're away a lot of the time, right? Like, do you feel sometimes that you you miss on being at home because of because you work a lot, right? Actually, this, this trip will be the longest we'll have been apart um, because I'm here for two months and my family's going to be with me for a month of it. But we've never really gone like a month apart. Apart. And we really, I mean, the the toughest was actually the first year of Hamilton because our son was born just before rehearsal for that started. Vanessa went from her maternity leave into a 60, 70 hour a week job and I had a night gig. So I wasn't around for tuck-ins. Um, I actually really needed to sleep to have a voice to do two show days. So you wouldn't. You so the there first the year was actually the most brutal. Yeah. It was brutal for Vanessa, who was sort of doing. Did you resent it? Several Vanessa? jobs at once. No. No. I mean, it was kind of crazy timing, but it was a once in a lifetime opportunity for Lynn. That was. I mean, yes, the once in a lifetime opportunities were happening every day, but I knew <laughs> it wasn't going to be forever. Happen, right? yeah. yeah. But I knew it wasn't going to be forever, and and. I'm here to support him, and yeah. so I did my best to to do that. And and there were a lot of sacrifices and compromises that we both had to make to keep ourselves sane. At that particular yeah, because point. I was working sixty, seventy hour weeks, and he was working. And I was working the times more, you weren't maybe. working. I was working at night and on and weekends. And when I was working, you were leaving the yeah. house at like nine in the morning and coming back at one yeah. after the show. You could become resentful even if you don't want to, and that didn't happen to you. Maybe if he, if if that had been our life forevermore, you know, that I could not have handled. And if he had not been aware of, of how difficult it was for both of us, then yeah. or that. And we called in the cavalry as much as possible. My parents are in our neighborhood. Her parents are in our neighborhood. Are you are you in the in the same neighborhood you grew up? I uh, just a little south. I grew up on Two Hundredth Street, and now we're you know we're we're just where I grew up. Yeah, we're where Vanessa grew up. <laughs> so, so you guys grew up actually quite close to each other, but you didn't know each other when you were growing up, were you? That's right. Um, well, we did go to high school together, so we knew each other. We, we knew of each other because yeah, we, we didn't go to other. a huge high school, but we uh, we didn't start dating till our mid twenties. And then we realized, wait, oh, you lived in Washington Heights too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait, you, you know, we have these friends in common. It was sort of one of those, it was one of those stories. It was like the song Ring Them Bells by Kendra Neb. Like she goes to like Africa and Russia and then like <laughs> across, halfway across the world, she meets literally the boy next door. That's sort of us. So Vanessa, what did you do in all those years between the time you met and when you reunited finally with through books? <laughs> I had lots of fun. Philip Pullman. <laughs> I was in college and... So you Traveled studied and, you studied science and so how yeah. did you become an attorney like that's a um, big I studied shift. I studied chemical engineering at MIT I will drop. I'll drop the name for you if you don't feel like Thank it. Thank you. What I love now is actually we we were watching an action movie last night. The villain always goes to MIT. 
<laughs> the villain in the movie we were watching last night was like, he was MIT bred, but now he's created a technology that's going to destroy the world. Well, just you wait. <laughs> still young. <laughs> she might still become a villain. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yes, I went to MIT, then I worked for Johnson & Johnson for a few years doing research on cosmetics, and then I decided to go to law school because I missed reading and writing. I did it very kind of spur of the moment. I didn't think about it as much as I normally think about things, but I it was really the right thing for me to do. It's this I'm very logical, I'm very meticulous, but I like to read and write and I like to mm-hmm. argue a little bit. So law really was perfect for me, better than science because like cooking, right? With science and formulas and stuff, it's more like baking. You have to be super exact. Super. And I don't really enjoy that so much. I like making recipes and going, oh, I don't have arugula. Maybe I can use watercress. Or, you know, I use too much salt. What do I do? I I enjoy that part of it. So So you don't really bake. Bench bench work wasn't British Bake Off and be like, what is she doing? (laughs) Part of the reason that I left my job was not just because I... Lynn got his job for Mary Poppins in London. It was also because I felt like it was time for me to try to figure out how to bring my science background into mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. legal career. And then I had babies, so it's going slower than I so expected. So you, got, you but... got you got babies, science career, and legal career. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to come out of this whirlwind, where are you going to be? I say go right to med school. Just, <laughs> let's go for the trifecta. She hasn't covered one. There is one degree you haven't got yet. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where I end up. Irons What's, in the fire. Irons in the fire. Yeah. We'll see which one. Exciting. Works. And what was it like to live in London? It was for both of you. It was great. Yeah. We were Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. We were like near a butcher shop, so we always like we didn't have to shop as much because we would oh, just the one on Kensington Park Road. That's exactly. Oh, the Australian guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's everything's oh, yeah. Grass so it was like we oh. just. Oh, what do you want to What do you want to eat tonight? And then <laughs> we, we were, by, we were by Portobello Market where Did there you was, get his there marinated chicken? He he has these marinated no. chickens. No, that's I got it recently. Like ah, oh, you just stick it and, and it just feels. I shouldn't be saying that I should be marinating my chicken myself, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is just so good. And no, we never tried that. We had they had um, a Wiener Schnitzel, but yeah. it was made with chicken. Mm-hmm. We made that for our son like every day. Yeah, he was really into that. Oh yeah, um, kids love Schnitzel, don't they? What's not bread, to love? Bread and Friday or yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> and how, so how was it for you, Lynn, to do Mary Poppins? It was such a joy. I mean, honestly, especially given like where we were coming from in terms of doing Hamilton and sort of the, the, all the energy and excitement around that show, it was like, oh, okay, now chop your hair off and leave the country. Um, that's basically <laughs> what I did. And it was like sort of amazing. And... You know, we were... We it's, fi- it's also from one medium to the next. So that Yeah, absolutely. Also it's also a totally new challenge. I, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Rob Marshall, uh, the director. I think he made one of the best movie musicals ever with Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I also wanted to watch how he did that. I wanted to sort of learn from that. And so to go to work every day and sort of also, you know, in a time, you know, we made that movie from February 2017 through May. So that's... That's post U.S. election, post Brexit. Like yeah. every, like everything feels like it's just very heightened. We were like making this joy machine every day. We were like <laughs> dancing with penguins, and you know, making this movie that's literally just meant to bring you 
two hours and change of like childlike wonder and like, just like Mary Poppins. Yeah. So it was so much fun that that was our job every day. And also, you know, you talk about Sebastian, like he, those are going to be sort of his first memories is yeah. seeing like daddy dancing with Mary Poppins and, you know, running yeah. around with things that will eventually be elephants and penguins. And, yeah. you know, he saw me dancing on these giant green screens. And like, I, I can't wait to see like how that did takes he reacts? What How did he react when he saw? Lin, oh, Lin if on... you play Step in Time, like he would dance around the entire apartment. Like he would just do what daddy was doing. And it was sort of like, I, I, I just, you know. He loved going to set. He loved to, to going set, to set. To set, wow. I mean, he didn't, we didn't do it that often because it was a bit far, but... Yeah, we would do it on, like, I would bring him on days when, like, we had a big number. Like, if we were going to film a big production number, it was like, all right, everybody come over. And so, you know, without For, giving It's any... like in any child's dream, right, to be on set when they film a film like that. I mean, because yeah. that's going to be something that people will watch for generations. So, I mean... And there was other little kids on set, yeah. you know? We've got these three wonderful child actors, um... The young woman in the movie, uh, the actress's name is Pixie, and she was just like, would glom onto Sebastian. So he had this like little friend, and Emily Blunt would bring her daughters to set. So this time there's three kids? Yeah, yeah. So it's, so basically it's a sequel to the original film. So Michael and Jane Banks have grown up, Uh and Michael uh, is a recent widower, and he's got three children. So Mary, Mary Poppins comes to sort of... Help him out. They're they're growing up fast. And he Mary. recognizes her as the Mary Poppins of his childhood, or is he just a new entity? Well, he does, but as they've grown up, they think the adventures they want to Mary Poppins were things they invented. They have forgotten that those oh, were real. Okay. It was like, well, all those things we used to make up with like Mary Poppins Peter, Peter Pan. didn't really happen. Yeah, the adults sort of forget. And so, well, yeah. Well, that's a very nice like little device, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And Ben Wishaw plays the grown Michael Banks, and he's, when we saw the movie, that was my biggest revelation, because I actually don't have many scenes with him, and he's just sort of wonderful. Yeah. Um, he's wonderful in the movie. He is a, he's such we a We should probably tell actor. the story of seeing the movie for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell me, please. Well, we saw a rough cut of the film early February, and we watched the movie. Vanessa, who is a pretty tough cookie, scientist lawyer, cried <laughs> and then we had Did you lunch cry a lot? <laughs> more than i <laughs> no, allow myself usually yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so uh we had we had a nice lunch with rob marshall and we talked about the movie and then that night she went into labor and we had our second <gasps> child wow so when people ask me hey how's the movie i go it is a labor inducingly good movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we were kind of hoping that uh, that i would go into labor during like right after the movie because it was it's actually really close to the hospital hospital. (laughs) but yeah she saw she saw the movie sitting on towels yeah Yeah, just in case (laughs) so i can't tell you how much i'm waiting to see this film because i just love mary poppins so much i mean it's everybody does right that's that's the thing so but that is quite difficult isn't it in a sense because that you're not worried you're not worried of that no, fa- because fa- well, failing people's expectations. Well, a couple of things. One, I don't worry about failing people's expectations because whoever expected a sequel to Mary Poppins. True. You know what I mean? It's like when people ask me, "Was this a dream come true?" I was like, "Who would have the audacity to dream they could be in a sequel to I Mary know. Poppins?" Like, even some dreams have limits. <laughs> um, it's beyond a, a dream come true. Um, but two, I think I underestimated even because you know I, I watched and loved Mary Poppins like anybody else. 
how much of it's in your subconscious. You know, from the opening moment, you know, when the trailer came out and that kite, which is the kite from the original film with the votes for women suffragette uh, banner uh, as the string uh, flies out, like it's so deeply in there. Um, And everyone who made the movie knows that. Am I allowed to tell the story? I'll tell the yes, story. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's. It. My favorite part of the entire process, or one of my favorite parts. No, it's probably my favorite part. Um, was we recorded music before we started filming, like with a big orchestra, because Rob oh. likes to have that. And so there's this one sequence, and I was in the studio while you know eighty piece orchestra. And British musicians, they're a tough hang. They're not effusive like Americans. And I remember seeing Mark Shaman, sort of the, our composer, trying to make jokes and make them laugh and getting nothing, <laughs> getting nothing back. Um, so he was like, okay, tough hang. Anyway, enjoy the music. And, you know, they're sight reading the music and they're playing it through. And there's just one moment in the entire film where Mark quotes, let's go fly a kite. He just quotes it musically in the background. And I watched these mercenary British violinists realize what they were playing in real time and like look around at each other and start crying, Um, which was like, oh, and that's how, that's how important this this thing is to people and how connected to people's childhood it is. Um, You know, because I watched it, actually I watched it last night because I knew we were meeting and I thought like, actually that would be a good way for me to get me into the zone, you know, to watch the old Mary Poppins. And I watched it on my own because the kids are away at the moment. And I just, I, just, I was completely mesmerized. And I can't, I don't really say that about every childhood film that I've, yeah. I've watched. Like I recently watched with the kids, Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, and I didn't have, it. Did, although I remember it better right. because it's scarier and it's kind of, it's, this one is the one that has, I guess the music is just so. And those sequences are I mean, still so incredible. I mean, Step in Time is such an incredible yeah. sequence and they just kind of go. You think, all right, yeah. well, that's the limit of our imagination. And then, you know, the horses come off the merry-go-round, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it is so wild. And the wild. roof scene with the, I mean, the roof scene is just like, yeah. you forget. I mean, the Chitty. dancing mm-hmm. and the, I yeah. mean, it's. The sort of corollary in the new movie. Sebastian saw and then would spend spent the next like week like putting up props out of stools and stuff so he could jump on and off them to imitate daddy yeah that was very special and he was so little it was amazing that he remembered so much of it to me you know he was like two and a half yeah because it's two and a half you hardly kind of remember anything and but that is very memorable. I mean, when you go on set like that, and also I guess the set is kind of all these, it's Massive. way beyond what you're doing. It's the whole, well, set. It's the, yeah. it's the cameras and all the people who are working on set. And it's, you feel it's, it's so energetic, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So a musical on stage and a musical in front of a camera, I mean, how do they compare? The only difference is you have to wait a year and a half for applause. <laughs> That's painful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was fun. You know, actually, we filmed one of the first... The first week, we filmed one of the most elaborate musical sequences. And so it was Emily and I. And we'd been, you know, training for three months for that moment. And the first time you get through it, the crew's like, hey, all right, And then the seventh time you get through it, it's like... Nobody's watching. Maybe that's Rob. (laughs) All right, we have that. Let's move on to the next. So, you know, that's... What, what I sort of, the difference between 
for me, stage acting and film acting is where your energy source is. With the stage, the audience is your energy source. Like you're having a live interaction with them, the jokes land and they laugh then. You sing the song and it lands then. And they're giving you their energy. They worked hard, they got sitters, they had dinner to be there that night. With a film, the energy comes from the fact that if you're filming that one scene, that's your chance to get the scene. It comes from the adrenaline of knowing like, hey, we're not coming back to St. Paul's Cathedral next week. Yeah. You know, when I mess up on stage, <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I got two tomorrow. <laughs> I'll get it right tomorrow. Um, so you, know, you need to psych yourself up. Yeah, the adrenaline really comes from this is our chance to get it right. This is our one chance. And it's like that every day. This is our one chance to get it right. It's As opposed to, you know, doing theater is a yoga. It really is a yoga. It's, it's actually probably more like cooking in a restaurant. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a bit like the difference between writing a cookbook and serving food to an audience in a restaurant. Because when you write a cookbook, it takes like, it's a bit, it's, it's kind of a two-year process as well. So you come with, from the time you start working on it to the time it reaches the public, it's, it is two years. And that's a long time to wait for, for your applause. And, but when you cook in a restaurant, you have to, it's, it's every night. I haven't cooked in a restaurant for years, but I'm always there to see what's going on. But also, so much can go wrong. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like people never know that, but in restaurants, you know, the cook broke up with her boyfriend. You know, there's mm -hmm. the fridge broke down. There's, you know, the delivery hasn't arrived. And, but you're supposed to perform as if everything is fine. And right. you go to a restaurant and you just take it for granted that you're going to get your great meal because yeah. it's a good restaurant, right? Like, okay, if it's a shitty restaurant, then who cares? But, and, if something goes wrong, there's all these buffers that you need to create in order to make sure that it works. But Tommy Kale uses the chef metaphor with theater all the time because it's also everyone's heard about your restaurant, but we're making it for you live that night. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Aaron Burr is sick and Hercules Mulligan is, you know, performing with a twisted ankle. But we've still got to make the meal you heard about. Um, yeah. And it's exactly like that. But yeah. so do, do you have like um, disasters? I mean, you surely you have <laughs> on stage. Yeah. Oh, sure. All the time. I, I mean, it, it sort of becomes part of the fun of it. Like what's going to happen tonight? I remember our second preview, you know, Hamilton runs on these, there are two turntables in the middle of our stage and we dance on them. We use them to denote time. We move set pieces on and off. And there's a very important character death in Act 2 of Hamilton. If you've listened to the soundtrack, you know what I'm talking about. I watched twice already in London. So and there's a moment, and in that moment, the turntable sort of brings the body upstage and yeah. off. And at our second preview, the turntable just didn't fire. And our dancers, our incredible ensemble, all kind of looked at each other and they swooped in and they grabbed that table with a live actor on it and brought it off stage. Like it was sort of like this, wow. one of those amazing collective decisions. This is the only way this show can go on. And they can't on. talk about it. They just have yeah, to do it. Yeah, it just happened. They just kind of looked at each other and it, ha and it was one of those magical moments uh, that happens when something goes wrong and we all sort of figure out what to do. And I, I feel like I'm... I see that more when I see a show. I can tell when someone's dropped a prop and it's a matter of which ensemble member is like the quick one to get it on top of doing their own track. Um, and, and that's also the magic of, of live theater. Yeah. I, I have to say, I mean, I'm not an expert, but when, when you watch these things, you, you never feel it that way. I mean, you never feel, I mean, like in restaurants, I feel everybody's more, is an expert. You know, if you had something once and it's not as good as last time, you will know. But with the theater, I mean, there's just so much thrown at you mm -hmm. that you kind of forget to be, to, you know, to, to look at the details. So yeah. that you need a certain 
you know, distance. Yeah, and I also find, you know, it's an, <clears throat> I have a weird vantage point because I've also been in several of my own shows, and so I've also seen understudies go on, and whenever it's a surprise and it's the understudies first time on, that's invariably the best performance really? they ever give because they have to be so present. They haven't had a proper put in. They're literally looking to their fellow actors to kind of tell them where to go next. Um, and I've seen this happen many times. And that first one, it's so fresh. It's always sort of the most thrilling thing. How, how do the understudies stay like fit? You know, I mean. Oh, they're rehearsing all the time. Oh, really? and, they're, and they're constantly learning new tracks. And we even have, now that we have five companies, we have a sort of a cadre of actors we call Universal Swings, who if we find that we're short <laughs> as a result of some people are on holiday or there's uh, a medical leave, um, they'll fly to any given production and sort of know a track or a series cool. of tracks. So yeah, we've got a few people that are the, we call right. them the Universal Swings. And don't forget a lot of the swings are in the show. Yes, they're right. doing something there's, else there's in the show. There's internal coverage. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. So they actually experience it constantly anyway. Yeah. Will you be the swing? Or like if someone, if, if you got like, I mean, if worse comes to shove, you can always kind of come. If in. someone, if someone, if like all if of our Hamiltons in New York yeah. went down, could I do it? Yeah. I could probably get guided through it. Um, I would, I don't know. That's a really <laughs> interesting question. Actually, I've had a couple of times where I've gone to visit the theater and Amber, our stage manager, is like, hey, how are you feeling today? And I'm like, nope, nope, can't do it, bye. <laughs> um, but it's it would sort draw of, a lot of attention. Yeah. But it's interesting because I'm going into the show again in January. I'm going to be sort of inaugurating this new tour, and I'm doing it for three weeks in Puerto Rico. And the goal for the Puerto Rico run is to raise money for arts programs in Puerto Rico. But I'm actually in this position right now. I'm going to have to relearn my choreography and relearn my blocking. And I'm not going to have a lot and of time lines, to do it. you keep saying. I feel like I, the lines are in there. Yeah. You know, that I'm not, I'm not so worried about my lines. I am worried about, like, getting hit by a chair <laughs> or kicked <laughs> by a dancer because I'm standing in the wrong place. Um, I want to ask you about Puerto Rico because... Um, I feel it a lot, like being from Israel, which is always gets into the headlines for the wrong reasons, or right. for the right reasons, but for the negative reasons. Right. And Puerto Rico also has had like a bunch of very terrible things that have happened over the last yeah. few years, and most recently, you know, the storms. I mean, do you feel that, like, you're the Puerto Rican rep in people's <laughs> minds? Does that put like weight on your shoulders? Um, yeah, I, I sort of try not to think of it that way because one, I didn't grow up there. And so it's sort of unfair for me to rep an island where I, I didn't grow up. I can't speak to the political issues of the day with any kind of authority because I'm just not on the ground there. That's not uh, where I live. At the same time, I do think that part of the gig and that comes with being a little known is to sort of shed light on, on what's going on. And so, you know, after Hurricane Maria, you know, my full-time job for about four months became raising money for sort of yeah. relief efforts and just keeping Puerto Rico in the conversation and keeping it at the forefront of people's thoughts when we're in a time when there's sort of a new... Crisis every day. Crisis every day. And so that was, that was the job for a while. And then, so, and so with this Hamilton tour... We were always going to go to Puerto Rico. I wanted to take the tour as soon as I knew we had a nice review in the oh, Times and we'd have a tour. Because I remember I did my first show in the Heights there. I brought a tour there, and it was one of the best weeks of my life. Just to be received by your parents' homeland uh, yeah, for your is, art is... What is that all about? I mean, I'm trying to, I, I know the feeling kind of deep down inside being recognized by the culture you kind of even remotely belong to, yeah. even like vicariously. 
Is why, why? What is it? Well, I think it's one. You probably felt a little out of place growing up. You know, yeah. it, you know, I definitely straddled cultures growing up. I grew up in New York, and when I'd go to Puerto Rico, my my Spanish was not good enough to hang with kids my age. Like they're all <laughs> talking really fast, and I was, you know, I had the like sort of broken New York accent, and so you feel a bit like an outsider. So for that island to then be proud of you and be proud of your work is very moving. It's yeah. sort of, it closes this thing you didn't know was open. Um, and so, so I say all that to say that I knew I was going to take Hamilton there. And then when the storm happened, it became, all right, well, how can we benefit the island? It just became about, let's raise money for arts groups uh, because they are totally left behind in any recovery conversation. Yeah, because that's the last priority, right? That's, that's just like, who exactly, cares about the arts exactly. and people are... And, and yet, when you look jeopardy. at what Puerto Rico has given the world, it's culture, it's music, it's dance, it's art of every kind. And so if artists leave the island for lack of opportunity, then we've lost something very yeah. crucial. Um, so that's, that's why we made that a priority. Have you guys visited there since the storm or...? Well, I haven't because I was yeah. yeah. I was but I've been I've been back and forth. Oh, you times. have been a couple of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what is it like there now? Is it it's what's strange. the spirit like? Um, we are like the most resilient people in the world, and the survival after Maria is sort of proof of that. And I'll never forget sort of landing. My first time there was not long after Hurricane Maria, and the strangest thing was seeing these green mountains and you've been to the Caribbean, you know, every mountain is covered yeah. with these lush green trees, just barren, just the leaves had been blown off the wow. trees. And it was like wow. to see winter in Puerto Rico was something I never thought I would ever see in my so lifetime. A, and you go back now and it's back. Okay. You know, nature, nature recovers a lot faster than, than sort of the man-made disasters that the Puerto Rican the people had. It's the of a wildfire, so you just see that, and then after the winter, all the shoots come yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, Puerto Rico is, is green again, but it's, um, it, it was very surreal to see that the first time. Wow. Around. Some more food? Yeah. So delicious. Thank it's you. Really, like you could not have chosen something. Tomatoes are like my favorite vegetable <laughs> fruit. This is my favorite at the moment. These tomatoes with the yogurt. And I recently opened a new restaurant. Which, when you're in London, you had to come. It's called Rovi, and this is one of the best sellers in the restaurant. It's mm -hmm. all, and we've got an open grill. Uh, when we cook on charcoal and most of the food in the restaurant is vegetables coming straight off the grill. It's amazing. So yeah, we, we spent a, a few weeks in Long Island and, and like rented a house and had a grill and I just grilled vegetables every day. Like every day. It was the best. Yeah. The, I mean, grilling meat is, well, everybody knows what that's all about. But when you grill vegetables, it's, it's kind of a, it's a discovery because the vegetables transform through mm -hmm. the grilling. Yeah. But we're not familiar with that type of cooking so much with like the general public, you know, so, and once you took, you take a vegetable, even as modest as a, as a turnip or cauliflower and put it on the barbecue on the grill and does it with olive oil and with a few spices, you get all these great flavors and mm -hmm. nobody knew you know yeah. it's, it's yeah. always there but nobody, nobody the other thing knew. i love about roasted vegetables is that they're almost just as good cold as they are hot. yeah yeah so uh, every time we did it i just did like way more than we needed for the night and you just pack it up and then you have it the next, the next day. day with yogurt and yeah and, and, and you, dress it with, you dress it with a bit of extra olive oil uh -huh. or whatever it is you're gonna you're gonna use what were your foods growing up? What are your like comfort foods? <clears throat> so I had a, I actually had a, my dad's from Italy. He was born in Italy just before the war. 
the first, Second World War. And my mom is from a German Jewish family, so she was also born in, in Europe just before the war. And so we had everything. Like, we had lots of Italian food, which, you know, it's not hard to sell, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, the greatest, yeah. it's like, you know, really good. My dad also has that kind of Italian sensitivity to cooking. So he's kind of the opposite of me. He's a minimalist in his cooking. So mm-hmm. very few in- ingredients, but really good ingredients mm-hmm. put together in a very thoughtful way. And it just blows your mind. Right. So that's his kind of cooking. So when I cook this kind of food, he's very nice, but I always feel like it's just too busy for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's very, you know... He's, uh, he would always say it was delicious, etc. But I think he would have taken a few ingredients off the list and simplified the method a little bit. So we had a lot of Italian food, but we also, like, I think what really shaped me is the whole Middle Eastern approach to food, which is really the outdoor eating and, uh, and the focus on pulses and vegetables and all this, you know, what we're familiar with, with the food of Israeli food and Lebanese food. And yeah. we used to go to the old city in Jerusalem and... And it was quite new. So I was, I'm kind of a child of the 70s. I was born in 68. So it was, you know, after the Jerusalem was, was um, yeah, occupied by Israel. And, and so we had all these kind of beautiful Palestinian restaurants and it was all fresh and there was very little animosity. You know, the, the bad feelings haven't come out yet. And so we used to go spend like hours in the old city of Jerusalem or go to Jericho. We used to, my dad used to take us on bikes. We just have to sit. You don't even need to pedal because it's <laughs> downhill like 1,000 meters because Jerusalem is 800 meters high and Jericho is under sea level. It's the lowest wow. town in the world. It's like yeah. 70 meters under sea level. So you just get on your bike and you just roll down the hill. And when you get to Jericho, it's like it's got that kind of humidity of smell of of the tropics because it's so hot Mm -hmm. it's the dead sea and it's got like tropical fruit and then you have like these beautiful spreads of arabic food i always always remember those Mm -hmm. experiences and then my mom would come with a car and we load our bikes back and (laughs) get back to jerusalem so that kind of mix of palestinian and european food and and also lots of kind of jewish food of various diaspora like there would be eastern european Mm -hmm. food which was always my least favorite, but I, I've learned to like it. Uh, but I, I really love the kind of the Sephardi food, you know, of, of Jews that come from the Middle East or North Africa. Those are just delicious. What are the differences between those two? The Jewish Sephardi cuisines? and Ashkenazi. So Jews from Eastern Europe, Ashkenazi is, uh, is really kind of Eastern European food. So what you would, um, if, if you, from like New York, it's, uh, it's all the delis that you kind of, the, the Jewish delis, you know, the, the gefilte fish and the salmon and, um, and you know, and all uh, the yeah, cabbage and, and pickled fish. But then the, the Middle Eastern, like the Sephardi food is more like Arabic food. You mm-hmm. get like pilavs and rice dishes, you know, with the saffron. And you get also from North Africa, lots of fish and spice. So it's a kind of the East, the East versus the West. And I've always been attracted more to the kind of the Eastern cooking. And that's why the food has got all those kind of yeah. intense flavors. But I think it's nice to grow in between cultures. I mean, yeah. you two are good examples of that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's and and seeing where they kind of bump into each other and how you find yourself in the process of it. Because your your mom is from Austria, right? Yes. And how the, so you also had that kind of mix, right? Of Very kind much, of yeah. South American European mm-hmm. food cultures. What did you? What was your favorite food growing up? I mean, I love spätzle and oh, so good. all the Austrian noodles like the dumplings there mm. they just the dumplings in Austria are to die for. I know. <clears throat> I'm a big Kaiser schmarm. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I love and the, all their I love the, liver, the liver dumplings, the liver mm-hmm. knudel, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also I love the fruity ones, like they've got a peach or, or an apricot oh, one. Yeah. That's oh. my mom's absolute favorite. <gasps> but I love... I love the ones that are made out of the bread and, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. cut it and you eat it with the meat and, oh, and the gravy. And, so good. I mean, and this Dominican. is basically just macaroni and cheese, but the cheese spetzel was oh. my favorite as a kid. Um, Dominican, I never liked Dominican desserts, but... Oh, what, what are Dominican desserts? There, there are lots of Tres cus- leches yeah. cake. <laughs> it is the sweetest cake on earth. I grew up in a Dominican neighborhood, you know. It's, it's uptown's yeah. Dominican, so I ate a lot. Yeah, of but I've never been <laughs> big on custard, food. and there's a lot of custardy things. But one there? Dominican like dessert that, stuff, yeah. that, that oh, yeah, I flans. love is like a typical Dominican cake. Is And we actually, it was so. the only thing I wanted for my wedding. Yeah. I was a pretty easy bride, I think. But the only thing I absolutely needed was a Dominican cake. And, of course, it was the hardest thing to get to our wedding. So what is that Dominican cake? I'm dying it's to know. It's just like a... It's a supercharged you know, sugar frosting. I mean... Yeah, I don't know exactly, because I don't bake, so I can't tell you too much. But it's basically a vanilla cake with, like, a marmalade in the middle, like a pineapple or uh, yeah, papaya. Yeah. And then the frosting is kind of this partially meringued frosting so that it gets very hard if you leave it open oh, yeah, for a day. Yeah, yeah. And then you pour like a cap full of rum on your oh, slice of cake. Oh, now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It we got it from a place on Dykeman Street. Yeah, not far from but they, don't, they didn't deliver because they they're used to serving just their neighborhood. So somebody had to... Yeah, we got we married to, upstate. We got yeah, married, we got like married upstate. upstate. We had to get a cab and we had to find somebody who was coming up the day of the wedding to carry it on their lap hold it on their lap oh the whole God. way up what a I didn't know this of course I think your dad took care of it but <laughs> yeah oh, tell me more about the food in your wedding who cooked your food on your wedding so my parents had these very old family friends still still friends um, they had an inn in upstate New York yeah, in Rhinebeck um, in Rhinebeck right outside of Rhinebeck and Prior to having that, they had a restaurant in New York City that was actually very close to where I went to elementary school. So I spent a lot of, I have a lot of memories of going to that restaurant. And then they opened, and they were also always into antiques. So then they kind of married their two seemingly disparate interests into this beautiful inn upstate that was very full of antiques and had fantastic food. And they still have restaurants up there, but the inn is now closed. And so we got married at this inn and they cooked our... Oh, they were in charge of the Yeah, too. they cooked our meals. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. It was a big music festival, our wedding. It was basically like a Latino Woodstock with a wedding somewhere in the middle. Because oh, really? I sort of, my first Broadway show in the Heights was still running. And I, I watched said, your video from yeah, your wedding. And I said, let me, me, another let me spend all the money I've made on this show <laughs> on our wedding. <laughs> um, and it was, it, was, it was a joy. I mean, it was really like we got our heroes, like Ruben Blaze, Gilberto Santa Rosa, sort of people I'd been lucky enough to befriend, sang at our wedding. The Heights cast sang for the ceremony. Oh, really? mm-hmm. um, we walked. So that went on for a couple of days. Yeah, yes. And yes. <laughs> yeah, because we had a rehearsal People. dinner. We had the, the the rehearsal. It was over Labor Day weekend. So it was over it was Labor Day long, weekend. So we were everybody's. We were everyone's long weekend. Uh-huh. And so your dad was like, you can't have just a one-day wedding. It's not fair to the people who, like, <laughs> are, save up their year for this three-day, three day. days off. Ah, for Labor Day, to break, yeah. to, to spoil their, so their, their yeah. break. So exactly. yeah. we got married on the Sunday, right? Yeah. 
And but on the Saturday, we basically had a Latin music festival. I mean, we had like five, six bands just playing. Wow. And just really like, but yeah. like I'll say like these names pool, and like they're pool party barbecue on Saturday, and then a, the wedding like, was on Sunday, and then we had a brunch on on Monday. Yeah, which we almost slept through because we, we were dancing so hard on. Sunday yeah. night. It was it was so epic. It was just it was amazing. It was really amazing, and our family worked really hard. And then, of course, there's the wedding surprise, which you've seen, the l'chaim. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was my so that little was, side that project. A, that was your, a, a genuine surprise, right? Yes. Yeah. It was. So I always <laughs> it was not surprising that Lynn was singing at our our wedding. It was also not surprising. It'd be surprising that if dad, I hadn't sung at our wedding. It was a surprise. Yeah. I did not expect it to happen, but that it happened was not out of character yeah. for my husband. Yeah, my dad's a ham. He loves to sing. But, just but, like but, I did. But my the, dad was like in doo-wop groups in the 50s. Yeah, know? well, he looks like he would have been. But, but no, but I mean, it, like, the, but everybody else, but they everybody were on else, it. You, were, you no, didn't know. No, and no. I didn't expect it to happen. I didn't know it was happening. So we, it, was, it was a surprise regardless. But then when everyone started, kept coming Coming out, and one of my bridesmaids comes up to me. And th- you might be able to see her her standing next to me at the wedding uh, in that video, and she says, "Did you know this was happening?" And I was like, "No, obviously not." <laughs> and then I look back, and she's gone. And then she gets onto the stage and starts dancing. And starts dancing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so "She's just very good at her part, right?" Yeah. yeah, she played her position very well. So yeah, we rehearsed for about I rehearsed for a month with just my dad and her dad. Because they had the biggest sort of singing roles. And my dad was an impossible diva the whole time. Because he found out the name of the note he sings when he enters, which is like a G sharp. And he was like, everybody leave me alone. I have a G sharp. <laughs> I have a high G sharp I have to sing. Um, and <laughs> and then, uh, but then our friends who basically came into town for the wedding from all over rehearsed in secret for like a week. And I'll, the only part I felt bad about it was Friday night. We had our rehearsal dinner and we had everyone get up and say how they knew the bride and groom. And then we had like a little drinks and dancing after. And Vanessa turned to me and she goes, our friends are getting along so well. Like people I thought had never met. <laughs> and I was like, I, hadn't, I couldn't tell her that they've, they've been dancing together things. for a week. <laughs> this is just day five of their very intensive rehearsal process. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was, that was a beautiful fun. story. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Do you like some coffee or tea? Yes. Sure. Sure. Maybe we can eat some Welsh cakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Claudine's mother-in-law left very kindly. Very kind of her. My mother would like you to know any and all leftovers can come home. Oh, yes. <laughs> she was like, you're going where? <laughs> you're bringing something back. So she, she, she likes to travel with you guys? Yeah, well, my parents, my parents love to travel. They have this whole weird, morbid thing where they say, when we die, we've got a list of six places you've got to spread our ashes. It's our favorite places in really? the world. Yeah. Six places? It's That's like Vegas and Venice and, like, so suddenly, like, I'm in a national treasure hunt uh, the moment. They <laughs> you and your sister. Me and my sister have uh, this big adventure we have to go on. But they're still alive, so... Yeah, they're, they're very, very much so alive. alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, uh, it's partly their sense of humor and partly they're like, we want to be everywhere. Um, but because, you know, we didn't travel much when I was a kid. I think the first time we left the United States, I was like 13 years old. We didn't have a ton of money growing up. And so I remember our first trip was... To? This, this is actually a great story for your podcast. Yeah. Um, our first trip to Europe was to Portugal... 
because my dad found a deal in the arts and leisure section of the New York Times. So he <laughs> comes out of the bathroom and goes, we're going to Portugal. <laughs> found $2.99 round trip or $3.99, whatever he found. And we went as a family and with a bunch of friends. And we went to Lisbon and we ended in Porto. And my dad bought a 1954 port, which is the year he was born. And he said, I, it, you know, big bottle. And he said, when my daughter graduates or when my son gets married, we'll open this very special 54 port. I'm never coming back to Porto, <laughs> Portugal. So I'll open this 54 port on some very special occasion. Cut to three years later. My dad comes home from work one day to see the 54 port open on the table. My mom used it as cooking sherry <laughs> in a recipe. She didn't look at the label. She just grabbed a bottle off the shelf. Worst fight my parents have ever had. It was one of those things. It was just like, you used my 54 port. How dare you? It was sort of one of those running gags. And then when we... And then I was studying in Madrid for a semester of law school. And I was like, I love traveling. And I'm constantly pulling Lynn. Out of 181st Street. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, we're so close to Portugal. Let's, let's, go let's just get go. Another let's port. go get let's another get port. Let's get that 54 port. We're going to go get that 54 port. So we got on one of those like Ryanair, like, you know, those crazy hours. You pay that, for each limb. <laughs> they were, it was like $10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you, you want to have your shoes on, it's extra ten dollars. Yeah. We're about seventy kilometers away from where you and want to we be. And we went. I think we spent thirty-six hours there, or or less than twenty-four hours there. Yeah, we went to weekend. every single port shop. Port shop. To the point where we'd walk in, you'd walk into Sandman, and they'd be like, "Are you the Americans looking for the fifty-four <laughs> port?" Because the other people called around. Yeah. So apparently, the fifty-four year was not a great year. Because they didn't vintage it. And, it, and it's and, and it, we didn't find it. <laughs> no, we found a fifty. Oh, fifty one, which was my my mom's the year my mom was born, and yeah. so we gave them the fifty one. And, and I'm like, so excited! And I'm like, was, and it, we, did you, did you we were newly engaged. It? I was like, oh, I'm gonna bring this, and my in laws are gonna be so happy. So, so we bring it in. My dad goes, I told you we would never be able to find another one. <laughs> <laughs> it was the opposite of the intended effect, oh. but. Here's where the Walt Disney Company. Uh, so my boss at Disney is a guy named Tom McDougal. He's the guy in charge of music for all the animated things. So I worked with him on Moana. When I was writing the songs oh, yeah, for Moana, yeah. he was the one who hired me, and he's become a very good friend. And one day, he calls me. He says, I'm, I'm in New York for like 24 hours. I need to see you about something, and I have no idea what's going on. He goes, can we meet at your agent's office? Oh, Scary. God, this is serious. What Am I about to be fired from something and I go into my agent's office and he goes I, I, I just want to give you something really special I know you're a big fan of Jay-Z he's one of your favorite rappers and he brings out this box of Ace of Spades which is Jay-Z's champagne brand and I was like oh wow he's, this is going to be like a signed Jay-Z bottle I was like thank you so much and I opened the box and it's a 54 port <gasps> he, I had told him the story and, and got it. he said it took him a year and a half and he found it in London at like a wine collector's in London so the 54 port is safely back in my parents' house. This is an only an odyssey, 30 years in Okay, the so now the, 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 the last scene of this saga would be where and, when and where he opens the bottle. <laughs> right, or when and where my mom messes up and uses Use it. it up again. Yeah, so that's the, the saga. So he was happy at that point, right? He, he was very happy. It wasn't the, a proof of something you did wrong again. No, again. exactly. Oh, no, then we save, we save that as a Christmas present. And, <laughs> Full, full respect to Tom McDougall for finding yeah. it. Because succeeding where we failed. <laughs> so what do we have? 
Uh, so I, I made a lemon cake, which is just a really simple lemon cake with nothing fancy for the coffee. And we've got the little Welsh currant cakes, which Rianne made, uh, Claudine's mom-in-law. Oh, they're currants. Yeah, they're currant cakes. They're so beautiful and delicious and buttery. And that's the, the Welsh bread, which is, for me, quite cakey. It's like a dried fruit bread, which is mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. I just bought, uh, there's like a little farmer's market where we're living in Cardiff. Oh, yeah? And it was canceled, but I managed to, the one vendor that got there too early for it to be canceled had um, currants. And currants are very common in Austria. So it's a flavor like none of my American friends know it. But I have always loved currant jam. And they're sort of bready, sort of biscuity cakes with Currants dabbled all yeah. through and lingonberries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have this box of currants sitting on my kitchen Ready counter for your mom. that I'm going to, well, I think I'm going to have to bake them into a cake or something, into one of those. I need to find the recipe. You need to find an Austrian recipe. How mm-hmm. shocked would your mom be if, when she gets here? Because they're coming to visit us in a couple of weeks. If you just baked her a perfect, like, lingonberry cake. No, no, she's very hard to impress my mother. <laughs> I can see a theme going on here. <laughs> yeah, but her, her mom equals my dad. They're, they're tough, tough customers. I'm trying to break down the idea of what simple cooking means to different people. So it's not only about like assuming that I know what is simple cooking for you, but trying to break down. So I spoke to a few people and people say, oh, actually, I like to cook everything in advance, having it ready to put together mm-hmm. at the very last minute. That's one concept and the other one is like very short ingredient list because i'm famous for my long ingredient (laughs) (laughs) so with a podcast it's also about talking about like simple as a as a metaphor you know like what is simple and what is easy for me easy cooking is not really about one thing or another it's like how relaxed you are when you come Mm -hmm. to the kitchen you know Mm, yeah like ease rather than easy you know it's like like yeah well does that have to do with who you're cooking for i mean you know when you're cooking for your family it's much lower stakes than you're cooking christmas dinner and yeah. family you don't see that often is coming yeah it's, you know it's yeah true. that's true i think when i cook with my parents like i really like cooking with my dad and then we we're a little bit more ambitious and if it fails it fails but it's fun to try something a little bit outside of our comfort zone yeah and yeah. I, and it's true because people put a lot of i always say to people as when we have they uh, when I talk to you know cooks and, and like home cooks and they say oh because I find it really nerve wracking to cook and I say well you just need to cook what you're really comfortable cooking you know that's the that's the answer because people just are really ambitious when they have people over mm-hmm. and they cook a cuisine that they've never even tasted before you know they buy this right. book about the cuisine of Algeria and they say I'll cook that meal today and you'd have no reference point you know and that is just insane when you do the analogy to performance is this you've never really rehearsed yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's, it's, it's an anxiety it's, dream come to life <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. but I don't know my lines <laughs> that's exactly what it is so I always say just cook something you cooked a hundred times before because then you're you've perfected it and mm-hmm. your guests don't care like they've maybe even you cooked it before for them as long as it's delicious it's just that's what mm-hmm. that's what matters so that's, that's trying to encourage people to just not be over ambitious with their cooking because it's just because i always remember there was this one christmas my mom was like i really want to make a goulash but i don't think i can 
And I was like, well, why not? And she's like, well, it's it's peasant food. It's not. <laughs> she's, it's you know, maybe that's not the PC term for it, but she's, it's she's English posh. is not her first language. So <laughs> she's like, it's not, you know, that's not proper proper to have at a Christmas celebratory meal. And, and I was like, mom, nobody knows. Like, we're in the U.S. Yeah. And yeah. nobody knows that goulash is something that, isn't considered high is it, cuisine. Right, is it a casual meal. Like they're just gonna think, oh, Austrian food, yeah. cool. <laughs> and she was like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "Yes, just make it," and everyone loved it. Loved it. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. that's just, that's the thing. I think we are very sensitive to this kind of a hierarchy of food, but actually, most people really prefer things that are actually delicious and simple. Yeah. And less can go wrong, right? Like yeah. it's like. Yeah, I make like pasta with scrambled eggs all the time, and. Everyone. It's the greatest. Loves it. yeah. <laughs> Tell me the recipe. Can I steal it? It's just possible. <laughs> you just have to not cook the eggs completely. Yeah. Like you undercook the scrambled yeah, eggs yeah, so yeah. that the heat of the pasta and you finishes it. it. And uh, What about cheese? Yeah. I mean, then you can add whatever you want, just like scrambled eggs. You can add herbs well, and cheese. And on the subject of eggs, I was talking to Chef Jose Andres. Chef yeah. Jose Andres, yeah. who is amazing and really talk about Puerto Rico, was like, First on the ground yeah. there before FEMA great. did heroic work. He's... I saw him in D. He's become a good friend, and I saw him in D.C. Uh, and I met his daughters for the first time, who were all lovely. And I said, "What does your dad cook for you guys? Like, what do you guys cook? For? What's the best thing he makes around the house?" And in unison, and they're very different in ages. They all went sugar eggs, sugar eggs, and I went, "What are sugar eggs?" And and he goes, you, you whip up some eggs and you add like the tiniest amount of sugar and it totally transforms. And that's like how I would get them to eat eggs. Really? It's delicious. It's like eating like a mini crepe. Like you just add a bit it's of... It's basically pancakes without the flour. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... Yeah. It just that's adds a yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I, I know exactly what it is. And you can add a bit of lemon juice on top if you want to. I just have to add my own little thing. Like that, that is what I do. I'm adding that now to, 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 to my arsenal now. It's been tested by two chefs. Saying I'll get my lemon sugar eggs. Oh, this is so good. Um, that lemon cake with coffee was surprisingly wonderful. I didn't know that lemon and coffee went so well together. I've got another one. I'll send it over to... I should say no, but okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. And thank you for being the best guests. Oh, no. coming to Claudine's house. Thank you for well, thank inaugurating you. our trip to Wales. Yes, thank Claudine for living so close to where we're staying. <laughs> I'll pass on the message. Yeah, and such gorgeous views. I mean, yeah. so beautiful out That's here. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, you thank so you. much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. My thanks to Lin-Manuel and Vanessa. And thank you for listening. The Simple Pleasures podcast is sponsored by my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple, which is available at all good bookshops. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, from me, Yotam Ottolenghi, goodbye. Goodbye.